You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I am joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. Can you believe that this is our last episode of season two? Wow, we've had two seasons. I know, yes. so fun. Yes. We've discussed topics such as pets, investing, and insurance. And in this episode, we are going to turn back the clock a little bit and answer listener questions that we received from some of our episodes. Oh, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I hope I'm up for this challenge. <laughs> Me too. One thing we talked about this season was buying a house and all the details that occur with this. And that was a really fun episode for us because we got to uh, have Brian McCauley join yes, us. Yep. But we had a question come in from Stacy. Stacy asked, I am looking into purchasing my first house. What are the advantages and disadvantages of getting a 15-year loan instead of a 30-year one? Yeah. So first off, congratulations, Stacy. I mean, homeownership for many of us, it's a great thing. Um, you know, th th there's pros and cons, and we talked about uh, some of those in that episode. But um, when it comes to a 15-year loan instead of a 30-year loan, so when you think most times with a 15-year loan, you're going to pay less, the interest rate's less. You usually, a lot of times, it's, it's um, you know, maybe like right now, I think it's probably like 4.5% compared to a 15-year loan. And once again, this is, you know, I don't want to just say like around 5% because they're changing. And I, I don't know by the time this episode comes out, who knows what the Fed may have raised <laughs> rates again. So, but usually a lot of times when you do compare 15 to 30-year, a 15-year loan, you're going to pay less interest on. Um, so that's one advantage. Probably in maybe not a disadvantage, but it could be that obviously with a 15 year loan, you're going to be paying more monthly than you are with a 30 year loan because obviously you're, you're condensing the time on what you, um, you know, are owing on that ultimate, you know, payoff period. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay a lot less in interest over the course of that loan. So just, you know, I don't want you to strap yourself too much. And I think when we go back to that episode we referred to when we had Brian on, about 30%, and this is just, once again, one of those figures that we kind of used. We're not looking at your overall debt picture or your income picture. But a lot of times, most people, and even Brian recommended, like no more than 30% of your income should go towards a mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. I think those are great points. Something else, Stacey, that I might consider is, you know, if this is your first house, a lot of times people, you know, don't plan on staying in their first house for very long. It's kind of a starter house. Maybe it's a little bit smaller. Maybe it's a fixer upper, something like that. So I would look at the long term. Uh, how long do you plan to be in that house? And maybe that will help you decide, do you want a 15 year or 30 year? How quickly do you want to kind of pay this down? Another option is if you aren't quite ready to strap yourself into that 15 year, you can do a 30 year, but you can always make more payments. Right. Sometimes you can do the uh, dual payments every month or sometimes you can just pay extra every year let's say you get a bonus and you want to put more down that'll help you eat away a little bit more no at that that's debt. a great great point right um and just make sure if you do decide to go route that that route make sure you apply it towards the principal and right. make sure you're specific because i mean some companies won't do that they don't know and they just apply it and then you know you don't have a mortgage payment for two months and after that but you meant for it to go to the principal so no that's a great point whitney so in another episode we discussed eliminating debt this question comes from Crystal. Crystal asks, what is the greatest advantage of using both the debt avalanche and debt snowball methods? 
Mm, Great this question. This is a good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so I'll start with the debt avalanche because this is one that I personally tend to gravitate towards. It's because I'm a very kind of logical thinker. Like a and class I- president? <laughs> That's, yes. That's, yes. Yes. Okay. No, I just, <laughs> Loser. No, no, no. I mean, I, no, I, no, uh, yeah. go on, go on. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I am a very logical thinker. I like when the math makes sense. So for me, the debt avalanche is a great approach because you're basically uh, looking at this from a mathematical process and how quickly you can pay things down. So you're starting with the highest debt. The uh, the disadvantage to that, I think, and why a lot of people may use an alternative would be uh, because it's a little bit longer. It takes a little bit longer to pay it off and you don't get that instant gratification. But if those kind of things don't don't bother you, I think it can be a really great uh choice. No, that uh, agreed 100%, Whitney. Um, you know, because like you mentioned, when you're using the debt avalanche, you're focused on getting rid of the highest interest rate first. And obviously, you're going to save a lot more money by doing so, because that's what you're focusing on. And obviously, if you're paying a lot more in interest, you're going to save more when you pay it off. I, on the other hand, and maybe this is just because of maybe the teaching background where I just noticed, you know, how, how do you motivate students? When I kind of look at it, and, and this is what I love about mentor, the behavioral finance part. Like that, that's what I'm kind of big on. I do enjoy that part of it because I think for many, we, the financial troubles are 90% mental and behavior based. And I think for me, the debt snowball is the other way that the, the, the popular way to get out of debt. And then with the debt snowball, and just as kind of a recap um, from, from a previous episode, is that you list your debts in order from the least amount owed to the greatest amount, and you eliminate the debt that you owe the least amount on first. Then when that's paid off, that money you were paying on that, you take that and apply it to the next debt in order of least to greatest, and you just keep moving through it like that. And, you know, for me, the reason I like that is just because you see like maybe not it's not instantaneous, but it's pretty fast. You see progress. Hopefully you pay off that first debt. It's not a big debt and maybe you pay it off in two to three months. And then you're like, oh, wow, I can do this. And kind of going back to that smart goal analogy that, that, that we talked about in a previous episode is like achievable. You're like, hey, this is achievable. And then you're just making progress towards achieving that goal. And, and to me, I don't know. I just, once again, I like the behavior part. I like, you know, it just kind of interests me the way people think. And I think for many, it just gives them that extra motivation of like, hey, this isn't as tough as I thought it could be, and they want to do it. But I will say, you know, kind of going back uh, to Crystal, it really doesn't matter, you know, for us at Mentoro, we don't care what approach you use. I mean, you know, you if you call in or whatever, we can kind of help you and guide you what's best for you. But we're just happy you're trying to get out of debt, you know, and you just, you know, to Whitney's point, you know, if you're someone that likes debt math and you're good with maybe it takes a little bit longer to pay off the debt because, you know, it may be a $5,000 debt, but it's the highest interest, then that's fine if that works best for you. But kind of like with all financial matters when we talk about, do what's right for you. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. So we also spent an entire episode talking about insurance. So the question that we have is coming from Katrina. Katrina asks, how do I know if I need life insurance? Yeah, I love this question, Katrina. So, you know, many people don't like to think about life insurance because ultimately we're talking about dying. Um, I mean, that's, you know, as simple as that. And I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but if you're listening to this, you're going to die one day. I mean, I'm not trying to sound morbid, but it's one of those things that's going to happen. And if you are responsible for people, right, if they're dependent on your paycheck for living, it's important to have life insurance. So you just, you know, to, to me, to answer the, the question, Katrina, you just have to look at your life 
like what, what it looks like right now. I'll use me as an example. So I have two teenage daughters. If God forbid something were to happen to me, we need life insurance in place so my wife can somewhat replace my salary and then help pay for those expenses. So Whitney, you know, right now, on the other hand, it's just Whitney and Justin. So she may not need as much as me because there's not as many obligations. Now in the future, Whitney, Justin have some kids. Well, then they're going to have to reevaluate their insurance situation to see where they stand. Mm -hmm. And that was a key point that I took away from that episode. uh, And I think a lot of people did, too. And that's that your life insurance needs will change throughout your life. Right. Uh, And it sounds very obvious. But if you're struggling to think about what that might look like, it's usually not something that you ask yourself. But I would encourage you to regularly ask yourself kind of what what would somebody need if something happened to you? Right. I mean, like, so my youngest right now is 15. So hopefully, you know, 10 years from now, she'll be off my payroll, 25. So then it'll just be Tracy and I. So then at that point, we'll reevaluate evaluate the life insurance and just see where we are. But yeah, just like with all financial matters that we talk, you kind of have to do what's right for you and your family and just look at your own personal situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, time for a break. When we come back, More questions from you, the listener. Connect with us on social media. Search at Mentoro Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Welcome back to the season two finale of Run With The Bulls. In this episode, we have been answering listener questions. So this next question comes from Devin. Devin asks, I have paid off all my debt except my mortgage. That means I'm debt-free, right? Mm-hmm. Well, some people think that, right? And first, I will say that is awesome, Devin. So good for you. It's wonderful just to have most of your debt paid off. But to answer your question, we will take a look at how we define debt this season. So the simplest way to define debt is any obligation owed by one party, the debtor, to a second party, the creditor. So, even though you have done an awesome job, you still owe your mortgage company money. Therefore, you are not completely debt-free, Devin. So, what do you think, Whit? Mm, This one's a tough one for me because I guess I look at it as maybe more positive debt and negative debt. Mm -hmm. So, I I would look at maybe credit card debt, especially if it got out of hand, got out of control, uh, not something that I could pay off every month. I would look at that as more like negative debt because it's kind of weighing me down. Whereas, you know, with a mortgage, that's positive debt. That's something that I can take equity from later when I decide to move. So I I still think that that's great. And uh, for all intents and purposes, I would probably consider myself debt free, even if I still had a mortgage. All right, there you go. It's a little difference of opinions, I Mm -hmm. guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. but no, it is agreed. I I mean, it is because you're right. Credit card, you owe something on, you know, someone money for something that's probably the thing you bought is probably going down in value. Most of the times when we do that on credit, or to your point, when you buy a home, and most times it goes up through the course of history. So, yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from. So, if, if anything, you only have good debt left, Devin. So, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll say exactly. that. So, speaking of mortgages, the next question comes from Lindsay. Lindsay asks, I really want to get rid of my mortgage loan as fast as possible. I promise myself I will pay extra on the principal every month, but then something comes up and this money goes elsewhere. How can I set myself up for success? Mm, that's a good question. Yes. You know, I think uh, that's a very admirable, uh, you know, goal to have. 
I would say something that really works for me is just make it automated. Mm-hmm. So if you can go ahead and set up those automatic payments or at least uh, divert that money into a different account that you can use later to make those pay- payments manual, uh, that could be an easier way to not let it go somewhere else first. Right. I mean, you take the guesswork out of it. And we, we've talked about that plenty of times when it comes for saving money, saving for retirement, whatever it may be automation. Like you just make it automatic, takes the guesswork out. You don't even have to think about it. And then it kind of takes out the human behavior part too, because we're eliminating, we're we're not going to allow ourselves to make a mistake. Even later on that month, if you've done something, you bought something you shouldn't have, guess what? If it's already automatically taken out the beginning of the month, and in this case applied to the mortgage principal, guess what? You can do whatever else you want. Mm-hmm. And you know, you're still going to make a sound financial decision at the beginning of the month. Exactly. You know, something else I think too, is if, if you find yourself strapped for cash, but you want to have these really um, aggressive goals to do something like that, look into alternative ways. Like I know somebody who uses credit card points to go towards their mortgage mm-hmm. every month as an extra payment. Right. So rather than using those to maybe fund an upcoming trip or something like that, that's extracurricular, use it to go towards something that can help you pay down uh, those debts that right, you have. Right. Nope. Another item we discuss were SMART goals. This question comes from Gary. I set goals for myself, but never seem to be able to stick with them. Can you please explain how SMART goals work again? Absolutely. So to recap, SMART is an acronym for Specific, Measurable, Achievable, Realistic, and Time Limited. So let's say you have the goal of paying off all your credit card debt. First, we would get specific and say, I will pay off all my credit card debt. Right. And then next, we make this goal measurable by saying, I will pay off the $5,000 I owe in credit card debt to make the balance I owe zero. We then need to make sure this goal is achievable, right? So we can do so by saying, after paying all of my expenses, I have $750 left over each month. This makes this goal achievable. Right. And then kind of going with achievable is the next letter R realistic. So we can make this goal realistic by saying even by applying $500 every month, right? We just said we have 750. So even give ourselves a little grace by applying $500 every month, this goal can be achieved in 10 months. Mm. Finally, we need to make this time sensitive. Everybody uh, seems to work better when there's a deadline, right? Mm -hmm. So this can be done by saying I will apply $500 every month towards my debt to ensure it will be completely eliminated within 10 months. Right. So there you go. You got that time and then you can keep progress. And then, hey, I'm on month five. Oh, how far am I? How close am I? Whatever. And you can see, uh, you know, the momentum you're making. So when we use the SMART acronym, Gary... Your goal is now smart, right? So coming up after the break, more of your questions. Connect with us on social media. Search at Mentoro Group on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Welcome back. In this final episode of season two of Run With The Bulls, we have been answering your questions. So I have another one for you, Danny. This Mm -hmm. one comes from Amy. Amy asks, what is the difference between investing for the short term compared to the long term? Uh, that's a great question, Amy. So when it comes to short-term savings, we are looking at events coming up in five years or less. So things, maybe you're saving for a down payment on a home. 
maybe you have a child that's in 10th grade and is going to be in college in a couple of years. So whatever it is, that short term, five years or less, and the reason this holds true is that we'll, we'll get into long term in a minute, but long term savings, we're talking, you know, maybe stocks, things that are a little bit riskier, right? But if we want something in the short term and we do invest in the stock market, we all know it could go down in a couple of years. Over the long term, we've discussed it, it averages about 10% growth a year. But that's not every single year. So with short term, we're looking for safety and security, not as concerned with making a bunch of money on interest. It's nice if you can have a bank account that pays a little, of course, but that's not our primary concern. Our primary concern is that safety, security, and we want that money to be there for that event that is coming up in the short term. Exactly. So on the other hand, with long-term savings, we are looking at events that are at least five years away. So these would be things where you uh, would want to take into consideration some of the points that, Danny, you were just making about how uh, the stock market does fluctuate. So these are things that you kind of want to be there for a while. You want to give it some time to grow. And because of that, it can kind of grow into something larger that you can use down the road. I think the most uh, poignant example is your your 401k or your retirement plan. Right. That's the most people at work have it. And so, you know, for me, my retirement is actually short term in case this is news to you probably. So I'm retiring <laughs> within five years. So there you go. Great. So you better get as much out of these episodes as you can because you won't have... No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> Amy, I'm so glad you asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so the next question comes from Billy. Billy asks, my wife and I are thinking about surprising our daughters with a dog for Christmas. What are some upfront costs we should consider? Mm, first of all, love that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a dream. Dogs are the best. Um, I think that there's so much to consider when you're adopting a pet. Um, you've got adoption fees, uh, food and water bowls, spaying or neutering, initial exams, collars and leashes, beds and tags. I mean, there are so many things that you are going to want to uh, take into consideration up front. Right. Um, but... If you can kind of plan ahead for those, maybe it's not such a big hit. Uh, also, you may want to take a look at where you're adopting your dog from. If you're looking to get maybe a purebred, look around and see where the breeders are and, yes. and find one that meets your budget. Or, um, you know, you can always give back and go to the local humane society yep. or something like that. Um, and that may even help out your budget mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. I mean, my childhood dog was from the Humane Society, our family, best dog we've ever had. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and another thing we did point out in our episode, that pets episode that we did, uh, emergencies. Mm -hmm. So we don't think about that a lot of times, but we discussed, we had our team member, John, on that, on that episode as well and discussed emergencies that we've all had with our pets. So something to consider that, you know, when you are buying any type of animal there, you know, they can be like a human being accidents happen. So you have to prepare for them. hundred percent. So, and actually, you know, I will say that will be a fun Christmas though. So when my girls were little, we did buy a dog for Christmas, still Aww. have them. So yeah, it was magical. So I get it. But then, you know, we just want you to be mindful that, you know, that things happen well, and be prepared. You know, it's cliche, but they become another part of your family. They become another member. So yeah. what are the things that you currently do for your family? And just keep that in consideration with this uh, other new little bundle. Correct. All right. So our last question comes from Abby. Abby writes, I know this may sound like a silly question, but what is a stock? No, I mean, it, you may think it's silly, but there are no silly questions, Abby. Mm -hmm. I'm just glad that you're asking this. So when a company wants to raise money for their operations, it has some options. 
So the company could go to a bank or an individual and borrow it, or the company could offer shares of ownership for others to purchase. Right. That is where stocks come into play. Here is a very simple and fictitious example Mm -hmm. of how a stock works. Let's say I'm the owner of Wits Widgets. What's a widget? Uh, Whatever you want it to be, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little tool in my tool belt. Okay. Yeah. Right. I like it. Uh, I'm looking to purchase machines to make more of my widgets. Uh-huh. Those little tools in your guy. Okay. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And the cost of this machinery is $100,000. Yes, these are very high-end luxury Oof, widgets, man, right? Yeah. I could take out a loan from the bank for this amount and make payments on the loan. Or I could offer shares of my company to others. Mm -hmm. I could say I'm looking for 10 investors to invest $10,000 each. Each investor would then have some ownership in the very exclusive WITS widgets. Yeah, those little tools. Yeah, Yeah. and I, as the owner, would not have to borrow money from someone, right? Right. I mean, that is a pretty simplified example, but, you know, it's... It shows kind of, you know, exactly what it is. Um, But mainly, Abby, when you just remember this, when you buy stock, you are purchasing a share of ownership in that company. So, you know, you can go out right now and buy stock in Apple. Now, they're not going to, unless you buy a lot, you have a lot of money, you're not going to get called to the, you know, shareholders meeting and get and make decisions. But the beauty of owning stock in, in a company is just think of it. While you're sleeping, there are people that are working at Apple to create things and you're making money while you're asleep, while you're at your job, while you're taking your kids to soccer, whatever it may be. So that is the benefit. And obviously, you know, Apple's a very profitable company. So just using that as an example. But no, that was a great point. It's just, it's ownership. That's when you have a stock, you are you have ownership in that company. I think that's a great way to explain it to um, Danny. And I think stocks can be super complicated for people to understand. You know, the stock market in and of itself is kind of a beast to get to get a hold of. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to take it back and and understand not only how you could leverage them yourselves, but how other people. Right. And too. I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode we did this season. That's, um, you know, it, it, the long term investing one mm-hmm. basics of investing part two is long term investing. And we had our team member Casey Stegman's on who was in, you know, the stock. He was a financial advisor, so did a great job of explaining it and kind of the dangers. We just talked about a single stock just to use that as, as an example. But, you know, most of us, most of everyone listening has access to mutual funds, which is kind of a, you know, I'll just tease it. Just go back and listen. But it's a safer <laughs> way to invest in stocks because you're diversified. Absolutely. All right, Danny, that does it. Wow. Thank you all for uh, for your questions. Season two is now officially in the books. Can you believe it? I know. Wow. Crazy, crazy. It is. Thank you so much for a great second season. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platform. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming down the pipeline this next year. And uh, catch us next season as we run with the bulls. Run with the Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.